Hello, uh, hello, and welcome to Spooks. Spooks with difference. Um, but we're having to use technology that's never used before, aren't we, Douglas? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I, I, have we used this before? I'm not sure. We have actually, um, and and it was yes, it works well. But um, uh, you know, you have to bear with us, as you will understand. With so many people around the United Kingdom working from home now, um, the internet is under great strain, as are the various um, networks, including Skype itself. So if we break up and don't sound the usual high quality, <laughs> high fidelity, um, you will understand. Yeah, you're, you're, you're talking about the actual sound there, not, not the content in, in high quality, I'm sure. Indeed not, because as everyone knows, our quality is high. Um, oh, yes. Oh, oh, yes. Now, we are facing, as writers, and the country and the world is facing a terrible problem at the moment, which is, of course, COVID-19, the coronavirus, um, and it's making difference to everyone's lives in all, all walks of life, um, not, not just writers. But we'll come at this from the perspective of writers, publishers, um, etc. And hopefully, we're not. It's not all going to be doom and gloom. Like, like you know, we'll have to try and keep a bit of liberty about this. And as serious as it is, there's no point us all sitting wringing our hands. Would you agree? No, definitely not. There's nothing we can do about it. We just need to get on with with things, and we need to try and find uh, some some brightness where we can. And hopefully, in the next half hour or so, we shall provide some of that. Well, here's hoping, though, you know... Because um, I am a ray of sunshine, as if everybody who knows me knows. I am a ray of sunshine. Um, I'm a sunbeam everybody's life. It's been said before. Right. Mostly been me right enough, but it has been yes, said before. I have to say, I've only heard you saying this. Um, but, but no, I'll take you your word, and let's be honest, we're at the clutching at straws kind of situation. Uh, so let's let's... Just hope you can do that. Um, yes. You and I were, would have been, at, as we speak, getting ready, preparing for appearing at the I Write Festival um, this Friday. But yes. unfortunately, that festival was cancelled last week. Or, Well, Bob McDevitt, who's the, the showrunner and who was on this podcast just a couple of weeks ago, um, in preparation and all excited about I write, um, he has said in a statement, or the, the 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 festival has said in a statement that they will try and salvage something later on once this horrible epidemic, pandemic, whatever you want to call it, is behind us or looks like being behind us. I don't know if it'll ever be behind us. I think it'll always exist, but it's our method of controlling it and vaccines and stuff that will change infection rates, etc. Uh, how how do you think Bob feels, Douglas? Oh, they must be gutted. I mean, I haven't spoken to him or heard from him, but I, I'm sure they must be gutted. Bob and, and all the people behind, not just I write, but all the, the festivals that have had to be cancelled, Newcastle Noir, etc. Yeah. Um, it, it must be like a gut blow to them because they, they work for months on these things and they work very hard uh, just just organising it in the first place and then of course programming uh, which is a, a headache of another uh, sort I would imagine 
uh, and then to have the rug pulled out from under their feet uh, for something that, that certainly it's not their fault. They could not prevent and nobody could have predicted anything like this really. Uh, must be must be terrible for them. And my heart goes out to them. It's really terrible. I, yeah, I, I agree. Um, we've all had situations in our lives whereby you know, we've expected something, we've been all ready to go and the the vet, veritable rug has been pulled from beneath us. And so you can, and especially when so much, so much hard work has gone into the, the project and, and it is a real cultural event now in, in, in Glasgow and the surrounding areas. It's become a kind of leitmotif of the city. Would you agree, Dougs? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's bad enough for authors because, you know, we're disappointed enough. Uh, that, that we're not going to be there. And, and not only that, but the four blokes in search of a plot, which was due to take place tonight in Glasgow as part of the, the comedy festival, uh, yeah. has been postponed as well. So we've postponed that uh, till, uh, till later in the year. Um, some would say that's a blessing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there is, there those, who say that, those who say that would be wrong. Um, but I mean, Gordon Brown's. He's he's stuck in Spain, isn't he? No, oh, he's here. He's in Glasgow. Oh, I thought he was in Spain. That yep, just shows you. How... Oh, I I I assumed he was. We, he we, was stuck. we tried our best. We tried our best to close the border before they get back, but no, he managed ah. to get through. Swam. He got. He got to. He he got to uh, the coast of France, I believe, and he swam the channel, uh, and then walked all the way up, uh, good, just to good. make sure that he was back. Well, when you've, got man, was... when you've got legs the length of Gordon, you could probably stride up in about half an hour. Well, that's true. That is very he's, true. He's a very tall man. So that's yeah. off. Uh, and as I say, you know, both you and I were, were very disappointed that that uh, Friday night wasn't going ahead, uh, yes. as was Teresa, who's going to chair us. But we just need to wait and see what happens uh, in the future. She was devastated. I mean, I've heard just in the last half an hour or so that the Glastonbury Festival has been cancelled this year. Um, the announcement was made earlier this morning. We're recording this on Wednesday the 18th of March, in case you're listening um, uh, later on. Uh, and that, I think, will will probably be the template or the, the first yeah. big, big festival to break. And, and I don't think it will be the last, Douglas. It's certainly not going to be the last. I think we're going to see a lot of festivals cancelled, which is is a blow uh, to to the likes of us uh, and and readers. But again, what choice do they have? No, very very little. And and it has to be said also that that um, some writers, in fact, I think the great majority of writers, uh, managed to to make a living by. Um, going around libraries funded by the likes of um, uh, Scott, Scott Lit Fest, what do they call it? What's yeah, the the, the li live literature. Yeah. Live literature, that's the one. Um, and doing festivals for which there's a payment and um, various other functions and events that they take part in um, and are paid to do so. Um, it, it, it is really, you know, everyone, I'm not, I'm, I'm not concentrating authors and being um, self self indulgent in this, but but you know, it, it's a great blow to the to the great majority of the writing community. I think that's right. 
Yes, I think the point is that you know everybody is going to be hit by this in some way or another, no matter what your profession is or what your job is, uh, and that's that's the big fear. Um, but those who who and there will be a few who will sit and say, "Oh well, authors they just sit there and they write and they make money from from the writing," <clears> and that's in general not the case. You know, some authors can certainly do that. But, you know, the likes of myself, uh, I rely to an extent uh, on yeah. the income that I get from, from doing the events. And this year it looks as if it just would be there. Uh, so it's, it's just something that uh, I'm going to have to deal with. Um, so I may well put out an appeal, you know, later on for, for somewhere to live when I'm, I'm homeless, when I can't pay the rent and, you know, I'm thrown out on my ear. So Mickey and Tom and I will be will be there with our, our bags and Mickey will have his possessions and a little a little uh, a, a hanky with a, on a stick over his shoulder. Um, uh, and, you know, we're looking for lodging. <clears throat> so just bear yeah. that in mind, you, you people. Well, I mean, of course, most people are self-isolating, so you'll be on, on to plums there, Dougs. Um, well, you know, on the self-isolation, I'm used to that where I live because I've been doing that for years. So the, this right. experience is, not, is is nothing new for me. Well, <laughs> well funny enough, I, I was just talking to our joint editor earlier, Alison Ray, editor-in-chief at Polygon, and she was telling me that it doesn't really make any difference to me, Denzel, because I'm just doing the same thing that I do every day anyway in the house editing books and um, working remotely, which she does a lot, most of the time, I think. Yes, yes that's right. So there I will mean, be people from, like this. Yeah, authors, you know, there is a, there is an element of self-isolation, uh, being an author anyway, to, to get a book finished. Um, so we are kind of used to that. I'm doubly used to it because of where I live. Uh, so um, yeah. it's, it's no great hardship for me, but I recognise that for other people that it is, a, a strange uh, sensation to to be stuck in the house, you know, for for days on end and not be able to, or, or, or you know, don't want to go out or can't go out or shouldn't go out. Yeah, uh, recognize it. It will be hard, but you know, my advice is, you know, just stick with it. Um, read a lot, you know, preferably my books, but you know, just be aware that there are other authors available. But you know, um, yes my books are available uh, as well um, certainly read a lot, watch TV um, if you can stream, stream uh, you know you can stream though. I can't stream uh, but I'm getting tablets for that medical um, emergency yes, yes, it's an age thing uh, yeah. so you know, my, my broadband doesn't allow me really to, to stream. It's one of the drawbacks of living where I am. I cannot get broadband down the phone lines. I rely I rely on my dongle, as I do in so many ways, uh, rely on my dongle. Oh, here we uh, go. I mean, the smut, the smut was bound to encroach. All, I mean... I, did, uh, did, I have not said anything, smut. I do rely on my dongle to get the Wi-Fi. <clears> I, use, I, I use my dongle every day. Every day I turn it on, and every day I use it. So I see nothing smutty in that. It's a matter of fact. And if you see something, I'm sorry, Mr. Mayak, that speaks of your mindset and certainly not mine. I think I'd like to make a public service announcement at the moment and say that um, <laughs> if, if you have um, sympathy for Douglas, please send your money to me, Denzel Myrick, 
P.O. Box 19, London, <laughs> W12. Uh, oh, no, but I'll do that later in a different podcast when you're not on. Um, <clears throat> no, I understand, and we're making light of it, but there will be lots of people in this country who will be in, even now, in dire need of of cash, terrified. Yeah. We, we lost we lost Carphone Warehouse yesterday and Laura Ashley from the high streets, yet, yet more... Um, empty shops in, in Britain's high streets and losses of jobs. Um, we have a situation whereby the self-employed and those in the so-called gig economy are still trepidatious. And of course, we're both self-employed and most writers are yes. Uh, yes. about where we're going to go with this and how government plans to help us. Um, I think there is little doubt we will face, once this terrible pandemic has has um has abated, we will face a period of economic uncertainty. Um yes. and whether whether the, the recession is L shaped, U shaped or V shaped makes a very big difference indeed. Um uh, and it, those economists amongst you will know that an L shaped recession is the worst of all. It's when it's a rapid decline and flat lines and refuses to go back up again. Uh whereby a V shaped depression or recession is one where it goes down rapidly and straight back up as um, as soon as circumstances change. So we can only hope for that, uh, though in, with this being a global thing, you, you, you can hardly think that, you know, if it affected one or two countries or a section or Europe or maybe America or Australasia, you know, it would be much easier to make a recovery. But when everyone's in the same boat, I, I, I fear for the for the economic future of us all. Well, Denzel, you're certainly doing a good job of cheering everybody up, I've got to say. Yes. And can I say uh, that I, I, I said I'd keep this light, and I think we've done so. Successfully. <laughs> yes. So if you're not worried about catching the virus, you're going to be broke. Um, yes. And those that are sitting there enjoying Netflix, well, you'll not be able to pay the subscription shortly, so just forget that as well. You'll be stuck oh, with the wireless. God. He's, he's getting and worse. There's no football and and oh oh no. Well, let me just say, if oh, anybody oh, does oh. doesn't have Netflix or Amazon Prime, you know, other streaming services are available. Don't worry, I don't have them, and I get on perfectly well. I've got Council TV. Yes, I have Sky because I do get that, but I also have DVDs, and uh, as you know, Denzel. As you know, Denzel, uh, for, I gave myself a, a present on the publication of my book. I bought the Dennis Waterman, the box set, DVD box set of the De Dennis Waterman years of Minder and the full box set of the complete series of The Sweeney. Uh, and I've been watching them. Uh, and, you know, there's, there's a certain amount of nostalgia because, you know, I, I, I watched The Sweeney back in the early 70s. Did, did you watch The Sweeney at all? Um, well... I watched some of it, but I was quite young when the Sweeney came out. Um, so I'd be about eight, I think, when the Sweeney first appeared on screen. And I think my mother was quite censorious when it came to to watching ITV anyway. Um, she felt that ITV was common. And so we weren't allowed to watch ITV unless it was something she wanted to watch, like Coronation Street or Emmerdale Farm or Farmhouse Kitchen or... Any of the, you know, the, in fact, when you looked at it, my mother watched most of the things on ITV. Uh, and, but we weren't allowed to watch Magpie or things like that because <laughs> it, was it was banned. 
<laughs> no, I do, I do like I do remember liking the professionals. Yeah, well, that was afterwards. The, the professional came after professionals yeah. came after uh, the Sweeney. But I, I was a big fan of the Sweeney because I'm I'm slightly older than you, <clears throat> a couple of years. <clears throat> um, so <laughs> I. Uh, <laughs> Happy birthday! No, it's uh, just just to make it clear, it is not my birthday, uh, listeners. <laughs> it is not my birthday. Uh, but I watched the Sweden. Uh, no, no, I keep birthdays. it quiet. No, I'm not even sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I watched the Sweeney and loved it, and I, I'm watching. And yes, there's an element of nostalgia. Yes, you know, styles have changed. Um, probably most importantly, not just uh, styles and program making have changed, but uh, it's how politically incorrect uh, it was, and nobody thought anything about it in the early '70s because that's the way people were. Uh, and it that's seems right. easy for us now in the 21st century to look back and, and frown and, and wag a finger at, at the way it was, but that was the way it was. Uh, and so watching these, these shows, it's like a snapshot. It's like going back in time in a lot of ways. But the thing that, that, that uh, made me laugh last night was I watched an episode and one of the guest stars was, was the actor Brian Glover, who people will know he was in Porridge and he, he was, he was in the American werewolf in, in London and things like that. And aliens three. And um, he uh, he was playing a crook, and he was being interviewed by Dennis Waterman, who was playing Carter in the Sweeney. And other police officers wanted to interview the, the the crook, and he said to Carter, "Why, basically, and I'm paraphrasing here, why am I so popular?" And Carter said, "Well, it's the law of supply and demand, and you are in demand." And Brian Glover said like toilet paper so wow. back then so you know they were being very pressing <clears throat> troy kennedy martin who who wrote that episode uh was obviously very very pressing he knew that uh, 30 40 years down the line of how many it is um you know we were going to have this toilet paper crisis uh, so he put that into the sweeney the same as jeffrey um, diva uh, no I, it's dean kuntz i think or was it jeffrey diva or was it dean kuntz Oh, I don't know. Uh, Dean, Dean uh, Kuntz, I'm, I'm almost wary of saying Kuntz. this on. Don't say it, yeah, don't say the name on. You've got to be careful how you say it, uh, but certainly Dean Kuntz, um, according to legend, uh, foresaw the the COVID-19 vi uh, virus, but I don't think that's actually completely true. I haven't read the fact-checking of it, but I saw the headline saying that it's, it's, it's false. Um, but the other one is, is of course, Minder. And uh, the the wonderful George Cole, uh, yes, who's good. absolutely terrific as as Arthur Daly. And again, it's also politically incorrect. There was an episode I watched the other night, and I, I raised my eyebrows. But then I had to remind myself that again, that was just the way people spoke back then. Yeah, and, they did. Um, you, you certainly couldn't do it now. There's no way that you could do some of the things that, 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 that they do. But so you, you just have to accept that. Uh, but that it's great fun. Um, it, it was one of my devices going off. Well, that's um, a very good sound. So, I like that sound. Yeah, do you like that sound? Yeah. Well, can you play <clears> again? It, well, I'm sure it'll go off again. Uh, so George Cole, so you, 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 you quite like George Cole as well. I thought George Cole was magnificent. I really, I really did like him, and you know he's one of these guys that you couldn't help but like, right from the Centurion films. 
back in the in the day. And, oh, and I I always thought he was he was magnificent. Uh, and did you, did you know that he was one of the first people to be asked to play uh, Only Fools and Horses? Well, I didn't know that. Well, there you are now. He was. He was. He was asked to play only the Adele boy character only fools and horses. He was one of the first to audition, um, but he felt himself that it would have been a mistake because um, he would have, you know, just been reprising his minder character, uh, and in fact, he would have been to to a greater or lesser extent. Uh, and then later on, he was also asked uh, to to uh, play. Uh, Del Boy's father. Yeah. Um, do you remember that? No, I, think, I, I mean I don't even remember Del Boy's father coming into it. Um, yeah, oh, it was no, it was a that famous actor who played Del Boy's. He was in the he was in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as the sort of professor, or the uncle where they all go to stay. Uh, or what was his name? He's just really famous. Come on, Douglas. Jim Broadbent. Uh, John Jim Broadbent would eventually play Del Boy's father. Did you know that? Did he? I thought he, he played did. a cop in Only Fills and Horses. I think he played Del Boy's father and a cop. Um, yeah. well, we're, we're, we're slick here in the streets, aren't we? Somebody, somebody's hacking into us and quite illegally playing, playing music. No, it's somebody outside. Uh, you know, somebody trying to stave off the, the boredom caused by, um, you know, by this self-isolation. Uh, but no, I agree with you. I think Minder and I think that that um, Sweeney were both iconic and brilliant television series. And if you can seek them out on DVD yeah. uh, or on streaming services, I'm quite sure they're somewhere. Um, oh, they're they're great fun. They're, they are great fun. It reminds me, you know, watching George Cole. Uh, mm. And I, 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 I was a fan of George Cole already because I'd watched the, the St. Trinian's films from the, the 50s and he was Flash Harry with Alistair Sim. Um, yes, and, his, uh, his adopted father, of course. Yes, uh, and uh, he, he was great in that. But I also like him in a film called The Adventures of Quentin Durward, which was one of these films in the 50s that MGM made uh, in Europe uh, as, as part of, of a deal uh, uh-huh. And it was, it was historic. It was based on a book by Sir Walter Scott and they made Ivanhoe and they made Knights of the Round Table and The Adventures of Quentin Durward and they all starred Robert Taylor. And, mm. and they're all good. But Quentin Durward is, is my favourite, even though Robert Taylor uh, is, is sorely miscast because Quentin Durward is a young Scotsman and Robert Taylor was certainly not in the first flush of youth in the 1950s, and he, he was not a Scotsman. But having said that, I do enjoy it. But George Cole is in a supporting role as, as, as believe it or not, a dodgy character, which is very much a template uh, yeah. in a lot of ways for, for Arthur Daly uh, further down the line. But the other thing about Arthur Daly is um, I, I'm, I'm watching him and I'm reminded I used to work for a man who always reminded me of Arthur Daly. He had the same dress sense. He wore the same kind of suits. Hell of a nice guy. <laughs> Hell of a nice guy, to, to be fair. Um, uh, but uh, we used to say that he could uh, peel an orange in his pocket wearing a boxing glove because if we went to him uh, looking for expenses, if we were to go somewhere and said, we need, you know, we, we need money to, to get a taxi or to, to go to such and such a place, he would put his hand in his pocket. Now, he would have a roll of 20s in there, but he would manage to find that one fiver in the roll of 20s in order to <laughs> give us it. Just out it would come, you know, 
Yes. <laughs> there it is. Or that one pound note. Uh, my, my, do you remember that, Houston? Yeah. Yeah, my, my, my late father-in-law, Norman McLeod, God, God rest his soul, uh, who was who sorely missed, his, one of his nicknames was Penniless Norman, and he managed to fold, he used to have won the world record for folding paper into its smallest possible size because he would open his wallet and ostensibly there'd be nothing in it. But when you looked in the corner, there'd be this tiny wee thing, which was a rolled up fiver. And he would yeah. say, I'm like, sorry, I must have left my money at home, you know. Uh, uh, I'll get you a dram another time. And uh, he was he was like that. And any anyone in Drummond who's listening to this podcast will testify. Norman McLeod, Storming Norman, as he was called. Yeah, another time never came, of course. Never, I know it, it never did. I remember once uh, we took him, Fiona and I took him across to the Isle of Gia, where, of course, your ancestors hail from many moons ago. Yes, they do. And they we took no him across. Phones. To, no, they had no phones in those days. No, no, that's why they hailed. Yeah, yep. yeah, I, I was ahead of you there, and uh, he sat in the. You know, we bought him drink after drink, and I said to him, "When are you going to? When are you going to buy me a drink?" And he says, oh, tis, oh, I'm a pensioner, you know." Anyhow, he went up to the bar and he bought me a drink, but he didn't buy Fiona one, his own daughter. <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't big in generosity. <laughs> I like people like that. <laughs> it wasn't his major thing. So. Yeah. We've we've talked we've talked about the the coronavirus and the way things are going. We've talked about the many things that have been cancelled, like Glastonbury, which will be leading on to other festivals being, sadly, no doubt, set aside this year or at least delayed. Um, what are we talking about in terms of entertainment? Now you've talked about Minder and uh, uh, the Sweeney. What? Yeah, you... I mean, if, if you're stuck in the house, you know. Yeah. I, I, and there's books, as I said. So certainly, you know, read books. Um, all kidding and joking aside, lots of books out there. Seek out new authors. <clears throat> make it me. Um, and uh, well, you know, find new favourites. <clears throat> make it me. Um, so that sound again? there's that, like that. There's that sound again. Yeah. Um, the happy sound. So the, the uh, you know I've talked about mind and. The, uh, so there's box sets, of course, whether it's you, you stream them or whether you've, you've got them in DVD. Uh, there's, there's movies. There, there are all sorts of things. The, the issue, I would imagine, comes, um, and again, I'm, I'm not speaking from experience, is if you've got children to entertain uh, and how do you keep them uh, happy. And I, I am I'm in no position to be able to advise uh, what to do with that because no. I, I don't have kids. I've never had kids, so <clears> I don't. What people would do to, to, to keep children entertained in, in, in these times? Well, I mean, they've never never has there been a time when it can be more easy to entertain children in a closed off setting because you've got so many distractions now um, that we didn't have when I when when you you are young and, and when I was young it was uh, it was summer TV which consisted of that white horses you know that da da. I think that may be a film you've seen later on in life, Douglas. You don't, um, did you not see The Flashing Blade? Yes, I did. No, I didn't. I did like it. It was in French, I believe, and they subtitled it into English. They I really liked the way that their mouths moved and they didn't come here, Pierre. And, it, and it just, this went on for about two seconds longer than the actual. I, yeah. I, 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 it's like you 
it's like some commercials for detergent household cleaners now that are that are in German, but they're obviously dubbed into English. So, uh, yes. you know, so the, the 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 mouths don't actually fit what's being said. It makes you wonder. You know, I said, can I trust the detergent? Well, I have done a live TV interview in Ger in Germany via the interweb, and um, I had to do it in German. And it was undoubtedly one of the most terrifying incidents of my whole life because, because I think because most people, apart from the British, are multilingual when it comes to English. Everyone thinks that we'll be the same as they are. Um, and of course, these Germans, my German publisher could HarperCollins, could they could they could all speak English perfectly. Uh, so they just assumed that I would be able to adapt into German the same way as they. And it was really, it, you know, even via a Skype connection, they must have seen the sweat pouring off me as I was doing this. Yeah, it yeah, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't even begin. I, mean, I am one of those those people who are monolingual and even that barely uh, so uh, I couldn't even begin to do any sort of interview in, in another language I was bad enough that weekend I was in Spain trying to stumble with the few Spanish words si. <laughs> and cerveza si. yeah. <laughs> you know that would be a <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a, it was a difficult time, and you know, I, and I've appeared at the Edinburgh Festival with a couple of of um, uh, foreign authors. One being Chilo Ladal, and the other one being Ragnar Jonasson. One from Norway, one from Iceland. And can you imagine us going to Norway and speaking in Norwegian to? Can you imagine that to a Norwegian audience? No, it would just be a disaster. You know, I mean, good grief. Thank goodness they've never asked us to do Although Spooks is becoming popular all over the place. And no, though we can't name them, we've been asked to a number of festivals. Those festivals may not come out or come off, but the Spooks brand is becoming established, Dugs. Yes, it is. It is. And and quite right, too, I've got to say. So what, what, it, it, give us your actual recommendations for maybe three box sets that you would like people to watch, apart from the Sweeney and Only Fools and Horses. No, the Sweeney and Minder. Yeah. Oh, um, let me think, let me think. Well, uh, The West Wing um, well, yeah, is, 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 is marvellous. Uh, uh, just <clears throat> just for the quality of the dialogue um, alone, uh, I, I, I watch this quite often and just I am amazed at Aaron Sorkin's uh, facility for fabulous dialogue. I love dialogue. I mean, I love to, to, to hear some fabulous dialogue and it's got it in spades. Uh, also, it's got some damn good stories and some great performances. Martin Sheen is an American president that we all wish uh, that was real. Um, so the West Wing, um, Colombo. Columbo. Oh that would keep you busy um, for about six years. Yeah, I, I have the the DVD box set of the Columbos, and I watch them uh, on a on a rolling manner. In a way, you, you know, I roll around the room. No, I I you know, so I start at the the very first one, oh. and it gradually over the months, if there's nothing that I fancy on TV or I just want some sort of comfort TV, in goes a Columbo, and then once I get to the last one, I go back to the beginning again, and it all starts again. Uh, I just think Columbo's is absolutely marvellous. Um, mm -hmm. And finally, if I had to choose another one, I would have to go with 
Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, You're kidding me. Yo, I loved Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And uh, again, I have that on on the entire series and DVD. The dialogue is incredible. The, the, The way that they they worked what would be contemporary issues for teenagers into this fantasy element was very, very clever. Uh, and um, I just love it. I just love it. It was, it was groundbreaking TV in its day. And for me, it still stands up. And I, I can't, I've lost count of the number of times that I've watched the entire series. Love it. Well, I've, I've got to say, that, that, that's, that's really shocked me from on many levels but i suppose each to his own douglas skelton likes buffy the vampire slayer are you having one of your turns there i had a wee turn there uh, just, just, a th- just the thought of you sitting down you know watching buffy the vampire slayer. it's great <laughs> Right, I okay, I'll, I'll believe you. Um, well, okay, that's Douglas's choices. My, my choices. Um, my dear wife and I have just I watched it quite a while ago, but Fiona hadn't seen it, so we recently rewatched the whole seven episodes of Mad Men. And again, this is a fantastic piece of work. Uh, have you ever watched that, Douglas? Never seen it. Well, I recommend to you, if you like West Wing, you'll love Mad Men because it's, though it, it's from, coming from a completely different um, perspective, it's very similar in the way it's constructed. Uh, and, and you know, the dialogue is brilliant and, they, you know, the whole, the production values, the, the, the scripts, everything's great. And John Hamm makes a, a very, very um convincing 1950s 60s style um ad men ad man from madison avenue uh, and the whole the whole cast are, are really really good uh so that is one i would heartily recommend another one i would recommend and there's a, there are something in common with all three of these that i'm going to i'm going to say the second one i'd recommend is boardwalk empire now i think you've watched that haven't you doug i did yes i watched that and did you enjoy it I did. I did. I don't know if it's something that I would watch again, though. Um, <clears throat> yes, I, I did enjoy it. How would you rate it alongside Buffy the Vampire Slayer? You can't. You can't compare them because they're two completely different, two completely different kettles right. of fish, as it were. Okay. 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 I, well, the Boardwalk board Empire if, for me. If, if I was forced, if I was forced to choose, I would choose Buffy. Anyway, that that's well, let's let's you know everyone to their own. Um, I think Steve Buscemi does a fantastic job, and the writers and creators of of um, of Boardwalk Empire are really good. It's it's also even more interesting because there is a lot of basis in truth or fact about Boardwalk Empire because Nucky Thompson, as he is in Boardwalk Empire, really existed as Nucky Johnson um, yes. in in real life in Atlantic City and. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I I'm always very keen in these 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 programs that these these shows that have a touch of realism about them, and the yes. third and final because um, Lucky Luciano comes into it and yes. uh, Rothstein, Meyer Lansky, um, Joseph Kennedy, Joseph Kennedy's in it, Meyer yeah, Lansky's in it. So the, that that I found that interesting 
um, because I, you know, one one of my fascinations is with uh, the, the 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 mafia, the mob of the the twenties, thirties, and forties, and has remained with me from a teenager. I've, you know, I've read a lot of books uh, about it, so that that interested me when when these characters and Al Capone, of course, comes into it as well. Yes, uh, played, Graham played, played yes, played by Stephen Graham very ably. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people were surprised. I know that when they were making The Irishman, uh, which Stephen Graham was also in playing uh, a, a New Jersey gangster, um, Joe Pesci, who wasn't really aware of Stephen Graham apart from watching Boardwalk Empire, was shocked to find out that he wasn't A, Italian, and B, he was he was <laughs> British. <clears throat> and he... And indeed, he asked questions of both Stephen Graham and Martin Martin Scorsese about the the wisdom of that. And I think Scorsese said to him, "Well, you know, did you, you liked him in uh, did you like him in Boardwalk Empire?" And Pesci said, "I did. Uh, yeah, I did. I did. He was convincing. I mean, he must have been convincing because Joe Pesci thought he was a New Yorker from an Italian yeah. background. Yeah. So surely that's testament enough." Um, Scorsese, and, he's one of the executive producers of Boardwalk Empire, wasn't he? Executive producers are very important people. That's yeah. all I'll say. Uh, and he, but he was, yes. Uh -huh. uh, Martin Scorsese was. He was pivotal um, behind. And you can tell because it has that flavour. You can see Once Upon a Time in, in New York and all that kind of stuff in it. You can see all the, the, the Scorsese tropes in there, though not overdone for a television audience, but, but they're yeah. there to, to discern. <clears throat> and the final Dennis, Dennis Lehane. Den sorry, before you go into your final one, Dennis Lehane, the crime writer, uh, was involved in, in one half of one series of Boardwalk Empire. I think he wrote <clears throat> a couple of episodes as well. Did he do? There was a guy called yes. Howard. Um, oh, I can't come. I think his second name was Howard, who was behind the scenes, but he he kept a very low profile. But he but but later Michael Viner, who was a showrunner, assistant showrunner on The Sopranos, um, was, I think, he was the man behind Mad Men, uh, if, I've get, if I've got this right, and another of The Sopranos showrunner, assistant showrunners was behind Boardwalk Empire, which segues nicely into my third choice of box set, which would be The Sopranos. What um, a surprise. It, it's, it's a surprise, <clears throat> but not a huge one. Um, and if you've got... A lot of time in your hands is 86 hours of absolutely brilliant television uh, and peerless acting by James, the late, great James Gandolfini, who, um, you know, I think is one of the best actors. And, and I've watched other things that he's done, but he's not playing a hard guy and a gangster. And he's equally good. He's just, a, he'd, a, he'd such a range and a depth. Uh, yeah. And he, you know, he's one of these guys who you could tell just by looking at him, like most great actors. You know, he, he you know, he could portray an emotion just with a gesture, and yeah, that was that was. Oh, and that and I thoroughly commend The Sopranos to anyone who hasn't watched it. I know you haven't seen it, or you didn't. You started it. Didn't uh, I, I think I saw the first <coughs> half of the first series. Right, I can't remember why I stopped watching it, but um, well, I did. I think. I think I think at the time I was I was watching a hell of a lot and it was just a question of well this is just you know too much and so it, it went it went but it's something that I can catch up on uh, uh, at a yeah. later date. 
I, I would say that that um, it was probably along with the wire. <clears throat> I think the Sopranos was probably first amongst those. The Wire, West Wing, and the Sopranos all came ar around around about the same time. Uh, but the Soprano was the Sopranos became more, the most successful in American television uh, because of America's fascination with gangsters and uh, and and you know it, it had traction because of that and because of the great scripts because of the great direction because of the great acting it burgeoned into something else and and was the root of of what streaming now all the the, the great streaming shows that have come in its wake. Yes. yes. Now, books, Douglas. Tell us what books you recommend at the moment for our many bored listeners. Not bored listening to us, but bored with their self-isolation. You mean apart from mine, of course. Uh, we're not going to mention that Thunder Bay is temporarily on Kindle Unlimited, a great deal for members no. of that particular service. <clears throat> so grab it while you can. Um, and also in sale as well, of course. And also your brand new book, The Blood Is Still, um, yes, published it's, just it's a out few now. Yes, yes. Uh -huh. yes and, that's right. uh, but we're not going to we're not going to mention that. My wife uh, is reading it. As we... mention, we're not going to mention that Jeremiah's Bell is now available for pre-order on Kindle and on paperback, and will be out in June. Yes, and shortly on Audible as well. <clears throat> it yes. will be available to pre-order as soon as David Benteith gets himself back from wherever he is and can do it. Do you know he he was in a hotel this morning having breakfast? I saw that. Did Saw you see that. that? I mean, yes. what kind of man is he at all? Very brave. Very brave. He's got a secret, obviously. But, but then hotel breakfasts, you know, I might be drawn to that as well. You know, you love a hotel breakfast, could, unless we all know I that. do enjoy a hotel breakfast, as, as we know. It's well and documented. I, I know few, little, few, few people who enjoy a hotel breakfast as much as you do. Yes. It's, you know... I have very few pleasures in my life, uh, but a hotel breakfast is certainly one of them. Yes. Uh, books. Now, the, the problem is uh, I've not been reading a lot uh, for, for pleasure, as, as it were, of late, because I've been reading uh, books for events, uh, which have not now gone ahead. So that was a waste of time. Um, but um, such is life. Uh, I, I have been rereading a couple of Ed McBain's. Um, as, as I've said before, I'm soon be embarking on book three uh, of the, the Rebecca Connolly series, and I always uh, read it at least one Ed McBain before I, I start on a new book. You so do. I've been rereading them, um, and uh, but lots lots of good books out there. Neil Broadfoot's got one coming out. Um, Neil in paperback, our, our good friend. Yep. We'll have to have yep. one books we haven't known yet. Yes, yes, you're out there. Should have one for it's it's coming out. I think uh, April next right. month. We'll get, we'll get Neil on for the round about the time that comes out. Um, and well, you know, lots of good stuff. What have you been reading? Well, my current reads are um, I'm currently with Hilary Mantel's latest, um, the final part in the Thomas Cromwell trilogy, The Mirror and the Light. And it's a, it's a tome. It's nearly a thousand pages long. It's nine hundred and something pages long. It's a great book, and she is a fantastic writer. Uh, it took me a while, I must be honest, uh, to get used to the style that she uses, this uh, past present tense thing, um, historic present, I think it's called, uh, officially. 
Uh, but I thoroughly have been, you know, I'm really enjoying it. I'm not finished it by any manner of means yet, but I'm really, um, uh, I think it's it's a it's a masterful work, not just from a point of view of literature, but from a point of view of writing, you know, actually writing and historical research as well. Because I was listening to, a, I watched a, um, a documentary about her recently and an historian, a, a well-quoted historian said that, you know, for all the, for all the fact it's a historical novel, he couldn't find one misstep in the whole thing, uh, which I thought was was testament to how how good it is. Uh, have you ever read any Hilary Mantel, Douglas? I haven't. No, I haven't. It's not your kind of thing, is it? I'm a pulp guy. You know that. I'm yeah, not intellectual in any. Buffy way. the Vampire Slayer and Zig and uh, Zag. Uh, yeah, um, give me. Give me, give me pulp. Well, I can sing a song if you'd like. Um, but not in my orange juice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like pulp orange juice, I know that. What's your breakfast? Uh, another one I'm, I'm about to read is The Thousand Autumns of Jacob de Zoot by David Mitchell. Uh, David Mitchell of Cloud Atlas fame, of course, and many other great books. I think not, he's a... Not, not the David Mitchell from Would I Lie to You. David Mitchell. That's my impression. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, that, did you like my impersonation of David? David Mitchell. <laughs> Hello, it's me, David Mitchell. <laughs> well, it's good for Farage, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, think think, you, I think you need to... Oh, yes, Farage, yeah. I think Douglas Skelton should spend more time in self-isolation. Yes. <laughs> So he would say that if he was only about. And my third pick is, and I can't do an impersonation of him, but we mentioned him earlier, is the aforementioned Chil Oladal, the Norwegian master of crime. It's his latest book called The Sister, which I am thoroughly enjoying at the moment, or have enjoyed actually. It's, it was a, you know, you know, for those of you who don't know Chil Oladal, he was one of the the sort of along with Henning Mankell and and um, uh, Hakan Nesser, was one of the fathers of Scandi crime, as we now call it. And he writes brilliant prose and great books to this very day. So if you can, seek him out. He's published in the UK by Orenda, the formidable Karen Sullivan, who is a, a wonderful person and, and a great publisher. So if you get a chance to pick up um, The Sister by Chilo Adal, please do so. And not forgetting... Our our own Olga. No, you say you say her second name, Douglas. Voitas. Voitas. Well yes. done, Doug. So you mean you're, you're, yes, your languages haven't let you down as we suspected they would. I'd hoped there that you'd been. <laughs> I can answer that, but you didn't. I think her her both of her books are incredibly well done, and I commend them both to you. Uh in terms of. Film, we've covered that. We haven't covered film, really, have we? Well, we can't go to the cinema because cinemas no. are closed down. No. What's the recent, most recent film you watched, Douglas? Uh, I don't think I've... I, I started one the other night and switched it off. It was supposedly a sort of romantic comedy, but it, it was neither romantic nor a comedy. So yeah. that went. Um, and I, I've been watching... Rewatching a lot of, of, of older stuff. I watched, I, I'd had on Blu ray for quite some time a copy of a film called Night Moves, which <clears> starred, 
uh, Gene Hackman, and it's from the 70s. Uh, mm. And it was written by a Scotsman called Alan Sharp. Uh, and Alan Sharp was from Greenock, and he, he became, you know, much sought after in Hollywood for script writing. He wrote a lot of westerns. And the last one that he wrote, the last film that he wrote, was Rob Roy. Um, so, and he, he is a writer that I admire, but he wrote this this uh, film called Night Moves, which is a kind of private eye, not as a kind of, it is a private eye thriller. Um, mm. Very 70s again, but of course has Gene Hackman, uh, oh, who is... Was never anything short of marvelous in, in a film, even even an indifferent film. Uh, Gene Hackman shone. He's just one of those those actors. Um, I've never really enjoyed that. I've never I've never really. Oh, I, I think he's, I, I think he's, he's he's absolutely brilliant, a terrific actor. Um, there was never he was one of those actors. There was there was never anything false about what he did. Uh, no matter what he did, you you know you believed. That he was that character. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. May not have been a flashy actor like Al Pacino or Robert De Niro or, or these people, but you know, flashy. You know, but he, he could do well. You know, Pacino can be pretty flashy. So so can De Niro, uh, but Hackman could could do certainly. I mean, look at his Lex Luthor in, in the in the original Superman film. Uh, so you know, he could do the the over the top stuff. Uh, but there was never anything fake about him. That's what I liked. Even in that role, uh, the, there was nothing fake about what he did. Uh, I think Gene Hackman was brilliant. Same, same with Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen's another one um, like that. Great who, designer. Great designer. Who, <laughs> and, and film director now, of course. And film director um, too, yeah. Wonderful guy. But, I remember him. Uh, but Steve McQueen, I mean, there's a film <clears> called <throat> The Sand Pebbles with, with Steve mm. McQueen. Uh, and this is not an original film. Other people have said this as well. And he plays an engineer, a ship's engineer. And when he goes to that engine, you have the feeling that he knew every part of that engine. He wasn't an actor just doing the role. He was somebody who understood how the engine of that ship worked. And and I think Steve McQueen probably did because he was a bit of a petrol head. So, you know, that was... That was the sort of thing that, that he brought to it. It was just wee things that he did. Look at The Magnificent Seven, uh, when he, he, he sort of pulls focus from Yul Brynner uh, on the, uh, you know, the beginning of The Magnificent Seven when they're taking the body up to the, the cemetery. Um, yes. And he gets the shotgun and he takes the shotgun pellets out and he shakes them before he puts them back in. And it's just wee things that he did. And you think, now, why is he doing that? Uh, but it's a it's a good move, and it's maybe the sort of thing that that character would do. Then he takes his hat off, and he sh he looks around and he shields the sun just to see where the sun is. And of course, he's a gunfighter, so he would want to know where the sunlight was. And it's just these wee bits that 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 Steve McQueen would do. Gene Hackman was was of similar ilk. He didn't do anything as tricky as that, but he just brought this this center to everything that he mm. did so mm. and, and he certainly does it in night moves it, it, it's it's a superb film again it's dated because styles have dated the way that we we, we storytell has has changed the way that we make films has changed but I, I you know i'm a child of the 70s so i i love these gritty 70s thrillers so uh, i would recommend that to anybody who's interested in that sort of thing well i funnily enough watched the joker yesterday the new the new film oh, right. or newish film uh, with Wacom Phoenix and the, and the aforementioned um, 
Robert De Niro, who was probably being flashy when he was acting, uh, who play, who plays a, a a condescending chat show host in the movie. Um, have you ever seen that, Douglas? I haven't seen it yet. No. Um, what did you think? Uh, <clears throat> it's part of the Marvel franchise, um, but it DC. certainly isn't. Joker, Joker is it, will be is, DC. Yeah. Is it DC? Is it? Uh, uh, yeah. Oh yes, it will be DC. Um, it's part of that front, you know, a superhero kind of franchise movie, but it has no, no real um, DNA of those kind of films other than the character of the Joker. Now, I don't know whether they're going to produce another film with Wacom Phoenix. It's his road to becoming the infamous Joker from Batman and how he gets to where he, where he gets to. And it's a very bleak film it's more about mental illness than it is about you know a superhero so I think that those those who are going to watch that waiting for Cape Crusaders and folk flying through there with hammers are going to be most disappointed but from a from a, um, a storytelling point of view it's beautifully done um, and well you know brilliantly acted by by Wacom Phoenix who, who plays a man who is deteriorating mentally? His mental health is de- deteriorating to a, to a, a terrible extent right through the film, so so well. Uh, and I would recommend that to to anybody. It's, it's available to stream and to buy on on DVD, etc. At the moment. So if you get a chance, have a look at the the Joker. Uh, I would I would I commend it to you. Um, and another another film I have really really enjoyed was spotlight have you heard, have you watched that yet Doug? oh yes yes i have that in dvd yeah uh, yes yeah, of a, course a terrific... yeah great film and also starring one of the lead characters from mad men which we touched on earlier um he plays he plays a sort one of the leads in, in this film the guy who played roger sterling in in mad men whose name escapes me can you remember his name Doug's? uh no no, because I haven't seen Mad Men, so apart from John Hamm, I don't know who was in it. Um, oh, you, you, you've let me no again. You're, you're supposed to be our film buff. Well, just you talk, and I, I, I shall launch myself at the interweb. Well, uh, we haven't got much time left. We've only got three, three or so minutes left before we have to end our recording. But um, as Douglas does that, I will say thank you to all of you who have listened to Spooks and continue to listen to us. You can uh, listen to us and download us on your podcast provider of choice whether it be spotify or apple podcasts or google pods or a number of others and we're hosted by it's a houses of steel production hosted by anchor fm douglas have you got to the stage that you found out who that is no because i don't know who was in mad men because i've not seen it so i'm not sure we've got what mark ruffalo wasn't in mad men was he michael keaton no Liv schreiber who is is no. uh John Slattery. That's him. That's the boy. John Slattery. That's who it would be. Yes. John Slattery. Paid, yeah. Brilliant in Mad Men. Brilliant in this film as well. In an entirely different role, he paid up. He paid a, a very laconic um, head of the advertising agency in Mad Men. Um, ultimately, a you know, not a tragic figure, but one of the few figures in the the series that sees a decline during his, you know, he's he's got to the top, he was born into money, he was born into the ownership of this this advertising agency in Mad Men, and it's the kind of 
rich boy with nothing to do syndrome, and he does so. He plays it really well and very, very, very funny. All the best lines go to, to Mister Slattery. Anyway, um, I would like to thank you all again for listening to Spooks today. I will be, will be having um, a well-respected uh, and knowledgeable journalist on with us over the weekend. Hopefully, Fiona Stalker from the BBC, who will keep us up to date with, with what's happening regarding the coronavirus, um, and uh, we'll have Theresa Talbot shortly as well. Also, an apparatchik of the BBC, as soon as we can get them. All I can say to you is, stay safe, stay well, take the advice that's on offer and um, try to keep happy and cheery as you can. I know that's difficult to say, but but Douglas is cheery, so if he's cheery, we can all be cheery. So from me, it's goodbye. And from Douglas, it's... Goodbye. <laughs>